Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 159 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, January 30th, 2014, live on trekradio.net and available for download or streaming on Monday mornings at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm James. And I'm Tony. All right, James, tell us. We have a big show. What do we have this week? This is going to be a big show, Captains. So big. We have to, again, forego our trekking out this week and jump right into Stone News with tons of information that has trickled down the pipe regarding the newly released Season 8.5. Then we'll hear from Star Trek Online's new and, well, returning executive producer, Stephen D'Angelo. And, of course, as always, whew, so much. We'll open hailing frequencies and see what you guys have sent to us so that we can check that out. In case you missed it, Priority One recently sat down with Al Captain Gecko Rivera and published not one, but two interviews. Spoiler alert, Captains. Part two contains discussion about the new featured episode, A Step Between Stars. And as such, we recommend playing the episode first. You've been warned. Check those out today on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations by helping us reach our monthly financial goals. Just visit PriorityOnePodcast.com to find out how. Captains, don't forget that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts. Check out our blogs and more only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, we're skipping Trek It Out this week to jump right into Stone News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Welcome to Stone News, Captains. We have a lot to cover. In celebration of Star Trek Online's fourth year anniversary. Woo! Four years, gentlemen, ladies, aliens. Woo! All alliance, alliance species. <laughs> Plenty of rewards have become available to players and their characters via the C-Store and even through ARC. That's right, ARC. Starting last week, from Monday the 27th through Wednesday the 29th, a new item was made available to be claimed for free. That's right. For free? So anyway, on Monday, uh, the Polytronic Acid Horda Combat Pet was our first one. Also on Monday, they released the free con uniform via the ARC entrance, uh, if you downloaded and got hooked up with ARC. On Tuesday, they had the free Defiant and uh, Bird of Prey bridge packs uh, going on, which are pretty cool. 
Um, it's another one, another good one they gave away. The free Saber Escort refit and Korg Raptor refits ships were also released with their consoles as a freebie on Wednesday. I, I claim the Saber. And as a bonus, on the day of Season 8.5 went live, players were able to claim a free TOS dress uniform. Did you guys take advantage of any of these? I already have all that stuff. <laughs> Except for the free con uniform via ARC and... Um... Yeah. No, I, no, thank you. Yeah, I wasn't interested either. Yeah, you see, I had uh, I had installed Arc when we had that discussion a few weeks ago. I, I said that I installed Arc just to see what the hull hullabaloo was about, and uh, I was I claimed my free con uniform. Now, it, not con like convention con captains, con like con Noonien Singh. Other than that, I mean, I, so I got that. Uh, I did get the ship. I got everything. I tried to get whatever I didn't have. I, I took advantage of for whatever reason. It's not like I'll ever fly the the saber. Console is good. The impulse capacitance console, and it's awesome. I have it on all my ships. Basically, it's like a super duper emergency impulse thing, and you hit it, and man, you go flying away from whatever the heck you're trying to get away from. I mean, jetting out of there. So this, according to Stowiki, it is a universal console available, and it will. Release power into your ship's driver coils to gain an impressive short burst of impulse power in combat. It's plus 152 flight speed. However, it does drop your turn rate a thousand. Right? No, you're pretty much um, a straight straight line rocketing out of there. But your defense uh, does boost to uh, plus 325 percent. So it was definitely worth it. Just if anything, just for the console. And in celebrating Star Trek Online's four-year anniversary event. In Season 8, Dev Blog number 42, content designer Sean Commander Ander McCann teases players on the content that was released for Star Trek Online in Season 8.5, including the latest featured episode, A Step Between Stars, which progresses the Dyson Sphere story arc. Now, just a reminder for you captains, until February 27th, players a minimum level 10 will have access to the mission and the ability to replay it. However, after February 27th, the featured episode will only be accessible by level 50 captains. Now, we're going to jump ahead here and go from DevBlog number 42 to DevBlog 45 to talk about the rewards. Tony. In number 45, systems designer Jeremy Borticus Cryptic Randall outlines all the available rewards players can receive during the anniversary event. Now, captains, it's important you pay attention to this so you don't risk missing out on any of the goodies. The first thing you should probably do, and will want to do, is play the new featured episode, A Step Between Stars. Captains will receive 400 accumulation marks as a one-time bonus for completing the mission. Captains will also select one of three consoles from the Solene Hybrid Technology Set, a deflector, an impulse engine, and a resilient shield array. Additionally, players will receive a Solene Environmental Suit that they can keep. Now you can replay the mission as many times as you want, but you won't get any additional accumulations. However, you can receive the complete set of Solene Hybrid technology. Additionally, there are three variants of the free environmental suit which are earned during a specific part of the mission. Which part do you ask? Well, there is a moment during the mission when Tuvok gives you three options for defense against the Voth. Swarmers, defensive beams, and just plain old straight combat. Each selection will reward you with a different suit. And on top of that, you can trade in all three suits. 450 Lobby. You can pick yourself up a more stylish version. That means if you want all three suits and the two Lobby variants, you're going to need to run the mission nine times. 
and spend 100 lobi. So what happens is you play the mission three times. As long as you select a different method of combat with the Voth, you will get a different suit. So you have three suits that you can receive from playing this mission three times. You get the three suits. Now, I open up the Lobi store, I will trade in the three suits and pay 50 Lobi to get one of the two Lobi variants. Are the stats on that one better than the three that you're turning in or what? As far as I understand, yes. If you are a costume aficionado and you want the three suit variants that come from the mission, in addition to the two Lobi variants, not only will you need to spend 100 Lobi, right, 50 per suit, but you'll need to run the mission a total of nine times. So, hosts, we can't do this show without talking about the mission. Have you guys played the mission? Yeah, I played it three times already. Okay. I've only played it once with each character. And uh, it was interesting, though. I did play two different ways. Like, one time I did the Swarmers with my Fed guy, and then when I played it the second time with my Romulan character, I did the Beams. I only played once, and I just did it hardcore. I just took on the Voth myself. Got an accolade for it. The Unstoppable Captain. I dig that accolade. There are actually a lot of accolades in this mission. I was hoping to get a list together for this episode, but I think people are still discovering them, and people are still experiencing the mission in and of itself. So we'll probably save that for next week's episode, where we'll hunt down and outline for you all the available accolades. Because this is a mission that, that you do not want to just run once, right? In the three times that I ran the mission, uh, I kept getting the same main path. However, there's a new mechanic that we discussed with our Vera and again with Steven D'Angelo about the changes that a player will experience when replaying a mission. For me, I kept getting the one room where the window's broken. It's after you've worn the EV suit and your EV suit clearly doesn't work anymore for whatever reason. So you have to hide in the shadow. I had that main path. But other players, while we were in TeamSpeak, were saying, what? What are you talking about? I didn't I didn't have that. I have no idea what you're talking about. So in the three times that I played it, I did not take a different path. So I don't know what that variant was. My Fed, when he was going through, there was this one uh, solo special ops guy who was sniping off this captain and sniping you in the back now and then and then vanishing. And then and I took a different path. But then when my Romulan went, he did the room with the broken windows. And instead of the solo... Spec Ops guy, they had a, a, a hunk of uh, one of the armored suits in the corner that was powered down, but then when you were coming back through later, somebody was in it and it powered up. So I saw variations, but between the two characters, I never took the, the same character and ran it more than once to find out if it would change for that character each time I played. But between the, my Fed and my Romulan, I did see two different variants of the story. My understanding is that when, you're, when your map generates, it's going to generate with the encounters and the... Um rooms that you're going to uh, go through that one time. So it, it happens on map generation, I think. Al Rivera, in our interview with him, specified that it's not just selecting a different chat box, but it's it's actually the mission itself. It's the environment that you're in. I don't know how much I like the randomness of it, right? Because I did it three times and still followed the same path. It feels a little bit... <laughs> dare I say, like the old STFs, darn, I want to experience these variant missions, and I have no control over it, because it's it's completely randomized. So that's it for the uh, consoles and the suits. Let's talk about the new Dyson Science Destroyer. <gasps> Ooh, ships, 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 ships. James just loves me some ships. Let's talk about that Dyson uh, Science Destroyer. Again, Captains, we're jumping around here, okay? So going now to Season 8.5, Deadblog 47, where systems designer Phil Gorgonzola Zaleski gives us the dirty little stats of the new Dyson Science Destroyers. For starters, 
In order to earn the ship, captains will need to earn more of those commendations that you've received from the first run of the featured episode. Then you'll need to earn 600 more commendations for a total of 1,000, which is slated to take about 15 days. You get 40 from the little event. So strap in tight, Captain, and we're going to do another grind. Uh, but it's worth it. I think so. These ships are pretty cool. So anyway, you'll do the daily anniversary mission, uh, which you go into queue at our space dock or Quanos or Romulus. In case you were wondering where, because I got lost in Earth space dock, I was expecting him to be in front of the fountain. Now he's, he's always in, in the club now. 47, yeah. Uh, like the winter and summer event, you'll need to select the project in your uh, event reputation system and start dumping those commendations into it. Uh, it will queue the proper ship for your race. So if you're fed, it's going to queue up the fed one. If you're Romulan, it's going to queue up. You don't get a choice. You can't queue up your fed and go, hey, why can't I click the Romulan ship? It's not going to happen, guys. Sorry. It's only then that you will earn the ship and its warp core to keep and, in turn, complete the four-piece set of Solonet hybrid technology. Remember, that includes the deflector, the shield, and the impulse engine earned when running the featured episode multiple times. Remember, you have to run it each time to get one of those pieces. At least three. At least three, and that's the step between stars. And it will come with the secondary deflector on the ship when you claim it. So, be ready for that. However, different variations of the second deflectors aren't coming right away, so don't get your hopes too high on that just yet but soon enough before we talk about the ship itself let's talk about the set bonus for a two-piece bonus any one of the four components you get cyclical shield conduits it's a passive bonus that increases your shield power setting and it's an efficient increase meaning that the lower power setting you have on your shields the more bonus you get Add in a third piece, you get the Structural Integrity Leech. Another passive bonus, it grants all of your energy weapon attacks a 1% chance to repair your hull for 100% of the damage they deal. And it may trigger once every 5 seconds. That's a cap and a cooldown there, guys. If you get all four pieces, you get a toggleable, switchable, activatable power of 15 second duration called Advanced Metaphasic Shields. Your outgoing damage is reduced by 20%. Your flight speed and your turn rate is reduced, but you get a large bonus damage resistance rating and plus 50 shield power. It also converts 50% of your incoming energy damage into shield healing and you're immune to teleporting powers. So uh, what do you guys think? How does this compare to a set bonus like the Mako uh, set or the Borg Omega set? You know what, Tony? That's an amazing question. It's an amazing question that I think we should save for a field notes segment where we should compare the Dyson Joint Command Technologies versus the Mako, and per- and now, of course, with the new Solonet Hybrid Technology. So let's save that question, I think. We'll send it to the lab. Okay, I do want to say this. Advanced Metaphasic Shield, the shield effect they came up with, the look of it is just killer. It's, like, wicked cool looking. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the ship now. Go, James. Ah, <sighs> ships. Now, usually a lot of the stats are shared between the three factions. However... We have a few core differences between these ships. Let's first chat about what's the same between them. Okay, so weapons, right? They all have 3-4, 3-aft, plus the Solonet, dual heavy cannons when you go into your tactical mode. So technically you end up with 4 in the front and 3 in the back when you're in tactical mode. So keep that in mind when you hear people go, no, it's 4. Well, that's because they're counting the cannons. And the cannons cannot be taken off or put on other ships. Don't ask. Bridge officer stations, one ensign tactical, one lieutenant commander tactical, one lieutenant engineering, one lieutenant science, one commander science. Now, the one commander science turns into a commander tactical when you go into tactical mode. So that seat changes. Other things in common, nine console modifications, three tactical, two engineering, four science. Okay, remember these are science ships at heart. 
They just got a little uh, kick in them. Base turn rate is 12 degrees per second. The major differences that we're going to find between the Federation, Klingon, and Romulan ones. Let's start with the hull. Romulan and Federation share a hull strength of 28,500, while the Klingons get their usual hull boost, uh, knocking it up, what is this, 1,500 points? Yeah, to 30,000. So, a little bit stronger hull with the Klingons. Nothing really surprising there. They always over-engineer their ships. They are monsters. Go get them. Shield modifiers. Okay. Uh, now this time, the Federation has 1.3, so they're the ones with the little kick this time, where the Klingons and the Romulans share 1.25. So, everybody's going to get theirs in their different spots. Federation and uh, has the smallest crew with 400. The Klingon ship boasts 1,000. That's kind of heavy, I thought, but whatever. And the Romulan one's landing squarely in the middle at around 600 crew. Federation does not have a cloak. Klingon does have a cloak. And Romulan has the Romulan battle cloaking device. So, you know, the usuals. Uh, let's see here. Federation likes to rock the Solonet overcharged warp core. The Klingons also share that same overcharged warp core. And, of course, the Romulans roll with their usual uh, singularity core. Of course, it will be the Solonet overcharged one. Uh, tactical mode. Here's where things get interesting. Now, captains. These new Dyson Science Destroyers introduce two unique features. The first is the new tactical mode, which enhances weapon power by 15%. Normally the ship has 15% to auxiliary. Once you hit tactical mode, just like the, the boff seating, it switches. That power goes from aux to weapons. Your science commander goes to a tactical commander. So these are just jumping back and forth when you're doing this. Keep that in mind. Enhan you also get enhancements to the churn rate, impulse speed, and here's where some of the interesting changes happen. The secondary deflector that you have does disable in tactical mode, so keep that in mind as well, okay? Um, some of your powers will change, okay? Sensor analysis, subsystem targeting, that all goes disabled, okay? The second unique feature is the new Solonet uh, dual heavy proton cannons that I mentioned earlier. They have one accuracy and uh, a critical hit times two. Um, which cannot be removed or replaced, okay, keep that in mind, they are stuck to these ships and they have like a cool transformer Severus mode like the other ships do. You actually see, I love the Romulan one because the cannons come flipping out of the wings, it's really cool. They're only available in tactical mode, those cannons though, okay, so don't be expecting them to start blasting off during science mode, so just keep that in mind guys. Overall though, I'm really happy with the ships, I've only gotten to fly the Fed and the Romulan one. Overall, I'm pretty happy with the ships um, as they were played in the mission. Um, I'm pretty happy with them. So we'll see how they are once we get them out and get them all outfitted for ourselves. I can't wait to hear back from all you captains about what you guys think. Is it me or does the Klingon and Romulan ship seem to have a lot more bells and whistles than the Federation and are a lot prettier? Yes. The Federation one, uh, you know, they put out the, the dev blog and they showed all the different artist models of the different ones. And I'll tell you, they didn't pick my favorite of all the ones that you know, the renditions that they had. No, they didn't pick it. I don't think it's the prettiest, no. I think the Romulan is hands down the prettiest of the three. Um, the Klingon one's pretty cool looking. As far as having more bells and whistles, I mean, the Klingon has more crew and more hull strength, but I really don't think it has any more bells and whistles. Yeah, but they also have the whistles. cloaking. They also have a cloaking device. Yeah, but, I mean, that's nothing new to the game. I mean, all Klingons always have a cloaking device that the feds don't have. That's nothing spectacular. Now, the Romulan ones... I mean, they have all the new stuff that these things have to offer, plus all their singularity specialities, too. So, I mean, I think that of They pay the for three, it, though, in the reduced power levels. They, they do. They it. sure do. Yeah. But I think, 
as what the ship is designed to be as this science slash destroyer, I think Romulans are going to find these ships the most interesting. The Romulan version of the ship, I think it's, it's going to be a, a spectacular Romulan science ship. I really do. Um, I don't think there's another ship in the Romulan lineup that can match this ship for its science abilities and, uh, of course, now its its little tactical kick that it gave it. Um, I think they the Romulans finally got a good science ship just now. I, so. I, I I'm gonna I agree with that. And yeah, the, the Federation ship you don't need bells and whistles on it because you know seventy percent of the player base is Federation. It doesn't you don't have to offer them anything special to get that. You, to get people to play other factions, you have to have something cool. The Romulan ship is probably the most gizmo-y ship in the game, even including the Vesta. All the singularity powers, if you get the bonus set with the uh, metaphasic shield toggle wool power, it'll be the most gadgety ship in the fleet. As you mentioned that, I was thinking in the back of my head, you know, I wish they would have saved the Vesta for this. Because in the books, the Vesta is a bit of a godship as far as I understand. It has all the bells and whistles. It, it can fight the Borg. It has the technology to withstand whatever's thrown at it. And here are these Dyson ships. I think that season 8.5 would have been a great inaugural flight of the Vesta. You know, it would have been nice to have to seen the pop and circumstance for the Vesta, which is such a, a an amazing ship in the novels. To, to be a part of this this event instead of instead honestly of, of the Dyson ships you could never make the Vesta in game the way it is in the I mean you just no, you you could can't. never you no but this is pretty close though well captains here's our first community question for this episode by the time you listen to the show you will have likely played the cumendation events several times to try to earn the new Dyson heavy destroyer. What do you think of the quote-unquote grind for this year's ship? Has it been as bad as the forums and the Stowe subreddit thought it would be? Share your thoughts with us in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO159 or in the forum post for this episode on the official Star Trek online forums. Speaking of the Dyson Heavy Destroyer, it, it's not done, right? This whole discussion's not done because with the new Dyson destroyer is of course the secondary deflector that gives science ships a little something extra that is tied into science bridge officer abilities they are intended to give science vessels a boost in either healing or support or damage when using powers that belong to the group of abilities supported by their secondary deflector in addition secondary deflectors will provide bonuses to various starship science skills. A full review of this secondary deflector can be found in Season 8 Dev Blog number 44, and a brief discussion was had with Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Rivera, in last week's episode. So be sure to check that out only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now, jumping to Season 8 Dev Blog number 43 and 46. Okay, this is covering the new, of course, Hydrogen Lockboxes, which came out. Now, if that amount of content wasn't enough, we now have the new Herogen lockbox with plenty of goodies. On the top of the list is, of course, the two Herogen ships that are available to players. Within the box itself is the Herogen Hunter Heavy Escort. Then there's the Herogen Apex Heavy Battlecruiser, available only through the low buy store. Captains. We know you're desperate to hear our interview with Star Trek Online's executive producer, Steven D'Angelo. So we encourage you to check out devlogs number 43 and 46. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. But there are a few items in the box that are definitely worth discussion. For instance, the long-range 
destabilized Tetrion Heavy Cannon with 180 degree firing arc coolness. This weapon's special energy discharge capacitors allow it to fire on targets up to 12 kilometers away. Okay, this is far. That's two clicks outside your uh, normal range. The other big thing is it never suffers a drop off in damage output as a result of that range. Pretty darn cool. Now, Tony, you had a problem with these new items, didn't you? Yeah, I just have a problem with the one. The weapon that we have here it now fires a full two kilometers past anything else in the game. And it has an area of effect damage that will extend up to two kilometers farther. So, in theory, you can hit out to 14 kilometers when your other pals are only going to be able to hit out to 10. So, you can shoot farther than anybody else and not get shot back. And the other thing about this weapon is, aside from the firing arc, it's only available through the pay mechanic. Now, I understand you can earn energy credits and all that kind of stuff. Pay to win? Okay, you said it. I was going to. This is about as close to pay to win as... And I understand you can earn... the. You know, I get that. I mean, in Cryptic, the mechanics are solid about being able to earn the currency in the game. I It's fine. But you don't get this thing unless somebody has dropped a pretty considerable amount of money into the game and then either put it on the exchange or gifted it via email or whatever. My point is, is that this is, you can, this is an I win button, as close to an I win button as you can get from anything that I've seen Cryptic do so far. And they've done such a really good job of not going there over the last four years that this is a little disappointing that they're trying to put their toe over the line, as far as I'm concerned. You may find it nerfed rather quickly. I'm going to hold my breath on it because every time it seems like they come up with an I win button, people cry, things get nerfed. Probably sometimes too much they get nerfed, and then uh, and then you know it's gone again. So we'll see what I, happens. I, the weapon itself is fine. The concept is fine, and I mean the area of effect that's fine. Not dropping off uh, over distance, okay. 180 degree firing arc, fine. But it's just I can put this thing on my ship, put my ship into one quarter impulse power reverse, and then just plink away at you as you try to close in. I understand it's probably got a long cooldown and whatever, but it's just it does three minute. You get a team of five people with these things, and you stagger the firing off on it, and it's an I-win button. In PvP, you think it's an I-win button, really? Anytime that you mess with the range, I mean, the range is the one of the is the hard-coded thing in Star Trek Online, right? Like in in a lot of in the previous Starfleet command games, the weapons had different ranges. You had your short-range phasers, your long-range phasers, your torpedoes could be set to proximity dis- explosions, so you could shoot them out farther. If you had them on hardwire fuses, they could only have a short range. Was a big mechanic in the earlier Starfleet. Uh, command games. Stowe just shut that all down. Ten. Everybody's ten. And you got a little bit of you got a, a decay with your direct fire weapons out to range ten but nobody could shoot farther than ten. It was just the, the line. The cap. This is the first one that I can know of. A direct fire weapon that breaks the cap. And it's such a fundamental part of the of the rule book in Star Trek Online I don't like it. I just don't I don't like it. I just can't imagine that this weapon, even though it allows you to fire from 12 kilometers and then a chain lightning effect, I guess, that extends an additional two more, is going to shift the tide of a battle so greatly. I don't think that by firing this, everything's just going to explode. Um, I don't even think that it's going to drop shields for somebody, that whatever facing shields it's hitting. And we should do another field note segment about it uh, to discuss the power that these long-range destabilized Tetrion heavy cannons uh, have leads us to a community question. So what do you say, Captains? Do you share Tony's sentiments? 
Will the new lockbox erosion weapons break the game in any way? Share your thoughts with us in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com, PO159, or in the forum post for this episode on the official Star Trek Online forums. Let us know, is this an I win button, or is Elijah right, and it's a pathetic button? All right, Captains, our last piece of Star Trek Online news is the four-year anniversary infographic that was published on the official Star Trek Online website. Now, this infographic is a nice recap of all the accolades and achievements that Star Trek Online has made over the last four years. Just to give a brief recap, we have, according to the infographic, 3.2 million captains in command, 16 million starships in service, and 75,000 Voth Fortress ships defeated. There was a lot of debate last year what captains in command meant. If I recall correctly, I'm 90% certain that the 3.2 million captains in command means 3.2 million characters created, not individual accounts. If I recall, I'm I'm 95% sure. Tony, you had some interesting insight about the whole 75,000 Voth Fortress ships defeated, didn't you? No matter what the actual math goes into the 3.2 million or the 16 million ships, however you, what counts as a captain, what counts as an active starship, I, I, who cares? The 75,000 one fascinates me because that destroyed Voth Fortress ship is only from the breach mission. And that breach mission takes a solid 30 minutes to run. I mean, at least 20, even if you're good, so and on a really good team. So that's 20 minutes of in-game time for five players. And the infographic broke down, meaning uh, saying that this number represented one Voth Fortress ship destroyed every 75 seconds since the launch of Season 8 last year in November. That means cheeks in seats, folks. That means that there are lots of people devoting lots of time playing this game. And so... Let's let's stop with the doom threads. Let's stop with oh the game's getting flushed down the toilet. Now this is ignore all the other fluff and all the other numbers and 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 head count and management changes. Just that number right there. That is where you focus. Seventy five thousand twenty minute minimum missions run since November. That is twenty five thousand hours devoted to the breach alone. Yes, that's just one mission. Just one mission has had 25,000 hours if you take 20 minutes to defeat the the breach. And again, it's a lot of people playing the game frequently. And that's really what the MMO uh, mechanic, you know, the MMO uh, business model looks like. Cheeks and seats typically translates to money in the bank. And um, Star Trek Online seems to be doing it really well. So... Can we cancel some of the Doom threads in the forum, please? All right, Captains, that wraps up our discussion of Star Trek Online news for this episode. We'll have plenty more to discuss next week as we continue to review the release of Season 8.5. Now, without further ado, let's get to our interview with Star Trek Online's new executive producer, Stephen D'Angelo. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. And today we're honored to be joined by Star Trek Online's executive producer, Stephen D'Angelo, in his first interview on Priority One Podcast. Mr. D'Angelo, thanks for joining us on the show and for taking the time on this very busy day to speak with us. Well, thank you, Tony, for inviting me to join you. Well, it's our pleasure. Now, 
First question, and this is a very important one, so we're going to get this out of the way right now. Is that idic triple note still on the bottom of Dan Stahl's old monitor where you left it? No, it's not. Okay, all right. So that's been that's been dealt with. He, he didn't leave you that mess. He did not. In fact, he dripped to the office bare. What? What? Not even a stapler? <laughs> not even a stapler. That guy. <laughs> all right, well, uh, before we specifically talk about Star Trek Online... Uh, we'd like to take a moment to reintroduce you to the Star Trek Online community. Are you able to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, for instance, how did you get involved in the gaming industry, and uh, what have your responsibilities been during your time at Cryptic Studios? Well, those are good questions. All right, well, I came to Cryptic about seven years ago. Um, prior to being at Cryptic, um, I worked at quite a few different other software companies doing software projects, but I also had my toes, if you will, in the gaming market, but not the video gaming market. I did a lot of work for Wizards of the Coast on a game some of you may have heard of called Magic the Gathering. For a little oh, over yeah. Years. Managed the rules for that game, pretty significantly responsible for a lot of the modern rule set. And that was kind of where I got my start in the game industry, um, in the larger sense of game. Came to Cryptic seven years ago and came here to learn the video gaming industry and spent a couple of years... Uh, working on Champions, then moved to the Star Trek team when Star Trek team moved to being a real development team. It came out of pre-production with about six people on it, and I showed up on day one, and I'll tell you a little story that goes with this. I showed up on day one, and the first question they asked me is they said, all right, you're our, you're our you know, lead in charge of all the software for the game. Are you a Trekkie? And I looked at them, and I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not a Trekkie. And I said, all right, that's, that's fine. You know, we'll, get, we'll get used to it. It took less than a week to prove that I was wrong. I ended up in a meeting and someone made a statement about, you know, Starfleet was going to have thousands of ships out there doing something. And I looked and I said, wait a minute, that can't be true. The Battle of Wolf 359, we lost 39 ships. And that was considered a major blow to sector security. (laughs) (laughs) And and the room got real quiet and everybody turned to look at you. Uh (laughs) That was the point when I had to kind of admit that um, along the way I had become a Trekkie. Um, And uh, I embraced it and ran with it and uh, worked with the team, um, an excellent leadership team on Star Trek, getting the game out the door. Probably a few months after um, Star Trek launched, they offered me the role as the CTO at Cryptic, and I took over as the chief technology officer, um, which I have filled since then. And Dan took over the role as the EP of the game. One of the things that pretty much proven true here at Cryptic is the EP job is hard. It's very wearing, and I think that uh, we might end up with a policy going forward that probably about every... 15 to 18 months, we're going to ask our EPs to step aside for a little while and go do something different, just make themselves get fresh again. Dan, after about 18 months at the at the helm, wanted to step down from Star Trek, um, try something different, and I took over for Star Trek for about six months as the intermediate or temporary executive producer um, while we hunted for a new one. And I have to say that those six months were some of the most fun months I've had at Cryptic, some of the most crazy months, but also some of the most fun. And from there, we were unsuccessful at finding a new executive producer. But Dan came back and said he wanted the job. Dan rejoined us and took over Star Trek again. But again, after about 18 months, he was getting pretty worn down by the job and asked to step aside. And I actually asked if I could take over the game on a more permanent basis, and here I am. So you've asked for this punishing and wearing job? I did. Well, well, sir, welcome aboard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, So how's the second transition been to you? The first one was kind of abrupt. It was kind of, uh, well, here you go, Stephen. We've got to have somebody guide this ship through the free-to-play transition. It's all you, man. Uh, How's the second one been in comparison? This has been absolutely wonderful. Um, Transition being nice and smooth. Dan, you know, being able to do a clean handoff, 
the game being in fantastic shape business-wise. It's been very easy. The team has been very welcoming. They're fantastic to work with. I love working with the leads on Star Trek. Did you have any challenges handing off you know, pieces of your old job? I mean, I understand you're still the chief technology officer there at Cryptic, so how'd, how'd that handle? How'd that get handled? Oh, that one's a little bit, uh, little bit stickier, but um, I did a pretty massive reorg in the technical organization to take some of my fantastic uh, technical folks and put them in charge of various areas, and everything's pretty well in hand, so it's going well. Okay, so you're you're, you're wearing the two hats now. Do you do you, do you get two offices with those two hats, or do you have to just have the one office? Um, I had two offices for a little while, and then decided that that was pretty silly, so I have one. Okay, all right. So so Dan stripped the other office bare, and so but you still have all your stuff I, in your office. And you know, one of the things I have is I have a beautiful framed print from. Star Trek First Contact, um, done by um, Peter Stromberg of New York City, as taken over by the Borg. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the Borg, from Brent Spiner to Alice Krieg to um, Mr. Del Arco, who played Hugh the Borg. So I have an autographed Borg piece that I. Oh, very nice, very nice. Now, did, uh, the other, the, the real question though is, do you have the little uh, uh, turbo lift uh, sensor that that wishes? Uh, when somebody walks through your door. <laughs> no, um, Al has one of those. Al still has your beat then. Okay, all right. Beat. Al, so. Al beats me on nerd cred. <laughs> <laughs> Losing to Al Rivera on Star Trek nerd cred, is, is, there's no shame in that, sir. Uh, I like to think I'm probably the third most Star Trek geeky on the team after me, oh? Al and Christine. Oh, okay, okay. Again, you know, good. That's good company. I, I want to add one more question to to kind of what you just mentioned. Uh, obviously, with what we're seeing out of season 8.5, which at the time of this recording is a mere six hours old. Uh, obviously, some of the, the work that's been put into this was uh, was commissioned by you. Are you willing to share with us how long you've kind of been uh, at the helm, uh, maybe even just behind the scenes? Um, I moved over to working with the team um, the day that Season 8 launched in November, so November 12th, and uh, did a transition um, with Dan through the launch of the winter event. And I've been running the game pretty much since the winter event went live. Well, speaking of the release uh, this morning, and as, a, as we record this, the server just came back up for the second time uh, after being shut down twice. Uh, how's, how's the atmosphere over there now that the server's back up again? Stable this time, I hope. Well, yeah, we had some hardware failure today, and hardware failure is never one of those things that cheers you up. Um, no. But, uh, you know, I mean, this, we're really proud of the release, and you can totally see the excitement in the game. And we're just, of course, hoping we don't get another hardware failure and uh, we can get through this cleanly and enjoy the anniversary celebration because that's, everyone here is excited. Four years on this game is is pretty amazing and the game's still growing and its community still loves it. So there's a lot of excitement in in the office. Well, one of the great things about Season 8 that was kind of new and interesting is that there was kind of a sneaky early release on it that seemed to sort of spread out and stretch out the... uh, the, the crush, if you will. Did that just not work out as well as you guys had hoped, or was there a reason why that wasn't a good idea for Season 8.5? Um, that's a really good question. Um, in this case, uh, getting something out for the anniversary is always a problem for us because it comes out just a few weeks after everyone goes away for Christmas. Right. And uh, so it's really hard to get something that comes out early before the um, actual anniversary, um, mostly due to the, the holiday season. So um, we usually don't try to do anything 
earlier than the anniversary if we can avoid it. Okay, so it's just a matter of trying to get the features into the game and finished, uh, where it's a little easier to handle on Season 8 with a November release than it was for 8.5 with a January release. Exactly. As uh, most of our listeners know, we had a chance to speak with Al Rivera last week, and uh, we've recently published uh, Part 2 of his interview uh, that we had with him. But uh, in it, he spoke very, very highly of your engineering skills and your willingness to push uh, Stowe to its technical limits. Uh, for instance, you've been credited as the man who pulled the trigger on the new uh, loadout feature, um, which is very, very highly anticipated. I know I didn't make it in time for launch today, but I, I know you guys are going to get that out soon. Uh, but what existing game features would you like to take a hard look at? For instance, doffing, PvP, skills, uh, bugs, foundry. Is there anything that's on your bucket list? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, pretty much everything you named there is on the list. Um, so the real question is, you know, what can we achieve in the time we have and with the resources? Um, I've always been a believer that um, it's important to not just be looking forward, to be looking backward at what you've got and what you can make better and to set aside resources for that. Um, season 8-5, we did a bunch that we set aside for. We redid a number of episodes, um, kind of revamped and remastered them, and uh, wanted to look and say, what else is bothering people? And the number one thing came up was ship swapping and build-outs, and I said, well, let's just do it. Um, and as we look forward to Season 9, we're building out the same sort of lists of what can we go do that players would love um, or that is bugging them, and we can just make go away. Big things that I'd like to look at, I'd like to actually get STO real crafting system. Um, I'd like to put a lot of effort into the PvP space. Um, I feel that it's something that has a lot of run room in Star Trek and has pretty much been ignored. Um, we managed to get the shuttle... PvP event into the Season 8.5. Um, those are probably two big ones, but there are a lot of small little things about the game that uh, that show up as well on our list. Um, navigation through sector space is a little bit wonky. Earth space stock is probably one of my personal pet peeves. We've spent a lot of effort on it over the years, and uh, I always find that when I go to ESD, it, for some reason I feel like I'm, I'm unhappy going there. Like it's a little bit cramped or a little bit wrong or it's easy to get lost. I'm always a little anxious. One of the projects you can probably expect out of me is getting Earth Space Dock to be a place that when you walk into it, you just go, wow, I'm in Star Trek. And this is a great place to be. Um, and I want to get that sense out of it. So that's one project you can probably expect to come to light. Would, would this involve remaking the current ESD map, or do you believe you'd throw the whole thing out and start as a you know, fresh map? I would start over. This is pretty much the map that released at the game's launch. I mean, there's been tweaks and, and, and things to it. Uh, what some rooms got taken off, but this has been the map since day one, hasn't it? It is. It's the basic map layout that's been there since day one. Uh, I went and did an art path on it to try and make it look and feel better and mm. signage up to make it so people got a little less lost. I did a pretty major path on it. I think we've probably put uh, maybe 10 man months into cleaning it up since launch, but they've all been trying to fix it in place, and I think fundamentally that was flawed. So. I want to reboot the map. If I have to go do chores, do space dock chores, I go to K7. All the consoles are right there, like, within feet of each other. I just, you know, my guy just runs around between the three or four consoles. Or space dock's kind of unwieldy, uh, separated among floors and other things like that. So I, 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 I wish you very good luck, sir. Um, I look forward to showing you what we can achieve. Wonderful. One of the things that's on uh, my list in particular, uh, I came on to Priority One as their video guy, and I've enjoyed doing it, but one tool that's been just that's sat out there and I... I really wish it would get some love is demo record. It's That's an orphan feature that doesn't get a lot of uh, press or talked about a lot, but is there any possibility that that might show up on somebody's radar at some point? 
You know, it's one of those tools that um, our programmers here maintain for a number of different reasons. Um, and I mean, for example, um, our graphics team uses that to create replayable graphic scenarios for trying on different cards, for trying on, um, for handing to, you know, for example, if we have to go work with NVIDIA, set up a demo record and play it out and let them see what happens, you know, certain kinds of shearing or real mm. effects not playing correctly. So it is a tool we constantly maintain. But it is one we maintain more for internal use than trying to make sure it works perfectly for external use. Um, but certainly it's something that I think many of the programmers would love to spend more time on. So perhaps we can give it a little bit more attention. Okay. Well, and, and a lot of it, like you said, like you were saying earlier, looking backwards too, it's a lot of the, the older items don't play anymore. You know, the, the map links are broken or characters don't uh, appear when they should. And, and, and especially in relation to the Foundry, I know Primetime UGC had to go through a lot of... Uh, Somersaults to try to make uh, to try to get their uh, recording situation to work again, and and that, it, it's it's a tool that other games have, and uh, you know being able to record video in game and kind of it's free marketing. I'm just throwing that out there for you. Uh, if you if, if you can get people to make videos for you um, and show them off on YouTube and say, look at this cool game. Well, uh, that's how uh, the team does their videos too. So. It's definitely an ongoing tool, but you're right. The files don't have a longevity. I mentioned earlier we did notice that the uh, ship loadout system didn't quite make it in time for uh, today's launch. Uh, are you willing to talk about what might have held the system back and when players could expect to see that to launch? Um, yeah, basically, uh, a number of bugs cropped up in testing that hadn't shown up early enough. And uh, once they started cropping up, I felt uncomfortable shipping something that really wasn't ready for prime time. Um, I have a kind of personal philosophy. I'd rather ship less and ship better than to uh, try and cram stuff out and bug fix it later. So um, that's the main reason we held it out. But uh, we're pretty excited about it. It has a few. At this point, we probably could have put it live. The main problem that it has is the it kind of messes up your, your power tray in ways that aren't very fun. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't mess with my power tray anymore. <laughs> exactly. So... Uh, you know, if the feature works in terms of it, your gear loadouts are good, and if you're not a person who plays off your power tray as much as you play off your bridge officer tray or your, you know, weapons trays, then, uh, you know, it's a hell of a lot of fun and pretty darn good, but it wasn't good. You have to use your power tray for the... Yeah, I was going to say, a player that doesn't use a power tray, who's that? Yeah, so, so it just wasn't good enough, and so we're working on power tray tuning and trying to get it to feel just right before we roll it out. Could be out as soon as next next Thursday's push. Um, two weeks is probably the worst it'll be. So probably next week. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and the other thing that people are anticipating is the uh, being able to save those power trays between ships when you switch ships. Your power trays go with it. Uh, so if that all helps work together, then I think people will be more than happy to wait a couple of weeks for the for the loadout. Exactly. At least don't make it any worse. Please, oh, please, oh, please. <laughs> uh, features like a quick equip and save loadouts are, are a great quality of life improvement to the game. And so what's the next little touch, the next little uh, creature comfort that you'd like to throw in there? What's on? What's next on your list? Maybe a claim console for the uh, sea store ships rather than just having to claim the ship and then dump the ship once you get the sweet console off of it? Um, that's a good suggestion. I hadn't heard that one. I'll put it on the list. There you go, Skippy. Ooh, that ooh. one's for you, buddy. Yeah, I was. Uh, I actually asked Al that uh, last week, and he said, uh, that's a great question for Steven. <laughs> Perfect. I like having things like that because those ones don't cost us a lot, and they add a lot of value to our customers. Um, so, you know, those are fantastic kinds of things to do. Places that I've been looking are, for example, in um, December we ran a promotion where you can get a Voss battleship by opening duty officer packs. 
Um, but it's a pain in the butt to do that when your duty officer load is full. I want to make that experience not be crummy. <laughs> it should be rewarding because that's the whole point of it. Uh, yeah. Similarly, you know, if you're a person who plays lockboxes um, and you open a bunch of them, it just litters your poor inventory. And I'd like to make it not do that. Um, so that, again, it's supposed to be rewarding and it's not. Um, things like that where something just doesn't feel right. And we got a long list of them. Um, and I'm not quite sure which ones we picked out for the next uh, block of code. I'm looking at my notes here real quick. Um, but Skiffy, he brought notes to the interview. This is outstanding. This is outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always carrying my notebook, so that's kind of the way I live. But, uh, but yeah, we're always looking for little things like that. You know, I'd love to put a, um, a landing page in for when you join the game. And the main reason for that is... You know, if you're a player who disappears and comes back a, a month or two later... Oh, man, everything's changed. Everything's changed, and where are you? What are you yeah. playing? Um, and I'd love it if, you know, if you've been away for a while, it came up and said, hey, welcome back. Here's the storyline mission that's next in your storyline sequence. Here's some new events that have been introduced to the game since you last were here. Um, this is the, you know, the ship you're flying, and, you know, the last couple of missions you played. What can I tell you that's going to help you get back into the game? And if you're playing every day... Um, here's the hot stuff I've been noticing you've been playing. Would you like to go play that now um, rather than go hunting for it? Or, you know, here's a quick link off to the queue so you can go queue for that. Um, anything I can do to kind of make that hopping into the game get a little smoother. Uh, yeah. One of the things I've noticed about MMOs is they tend to just be fond of the uh, whole idea that you should spend your first 20 minutes in-game figuring out where you were, like that was a gameplay design. <laughs> It's not a bug. It's a feature. It's a feature. <laughs> I know for many MMOs I've played over the years, the first half hour is, you know, building back up and handling, you know, handling your auctions and doing all the rest of that stuff before you go out and play. And I'd like STO to be more of a game where you hop in and you go have fun. You know, the the idea of the weekend warrior uh, that you guys did with a new reputation system where if you're pressed for time, you can put in a bunch of game time and then do those long timer missions with your Voth commendations uh, just as a, as a quick one daily. Uh, that 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 sort of helps people on those tighter schedules. So anything you can do to compress that management time is is great. is a big help. Exactly. Well, uh, you spoke earlier about the navigation through sector space is a uh, is a kind of, not not a pain point, but just kind of an exasperation point maybe. Uh, has the one sector map to rule them all uh, system coming back, or is it going to be tweaked somehow, or are we still kind of too far out to even discuss it? Um. Exactly how we solve the problem is still being evaluated. We have some technical solutions. We have some, con you know, content solutions for doing it. Um, so I don't have a particular de final decision on how we're going to do it just yet. Um, it's not that close to getting done. Uh, okay. But it's on, out, on the list. Out there in the distance. We'll see. It. Uh, well, uh, next up on our list, uh, can you talk to us about new mission tech that enhances the replayability of missions? So we noticed uh, that in the mission that launched today, there were uh, different replay aspects. Every time you'd play it, you'd get a different outcome and different choices. And is this uh, something that you plan to do more often, or could we see this being integrated into old missions, possibly? Um, this is, in fact, something that um, I've been pushing for at Cryptic uh, for probably a little more than a year now. And we tried out first in Neverwinter. Um, and it's gone over very well. And Star Trek, well, you can definitely count on it being a main part of pretty much everything we do going forward. Um, I've been kind of trying to get my team to understand the difference between something that's repeatable and replayable. And repeatable means they check the little box saying the person can repeat it. 
Um, but if, it, if there's no variance, there's no reason to be paying attention, if it's exactly the same every time, then replaying it is boring. Um, it becomes a grind. And even putting a little bit of variance in there keeps it fresh, um, keeps it a lot fresh, fresher, longer. So um, one of the things that I'd like to see us do pretty much in all of our content is add a little bit of variance each time so that there's a reason to be paying attention. There's a reason to stay engaged. Um, and sometimes there's a surprise. They will even make some of those things a little bit rarer than others. You go, oh, wait, I haven't seen this. Um, and you get the little kind of surprise moments that, um, you know, that's what you want out of storyline in particular and out of your game in general. I think this is outstanding. And I, um, more so than putting it into storyline missions, this would be outstanding for some of the PvE queues. Um, and I can say you're going to really enjoy Season 9. Oh, oh Stephen, wonderful. Nicely done. <laughs> well, Stephen, it sounds to me like you're describing a Tupperware system. It keeps it fresher longer, and sometimes there's a surprise inside. <laughs> yes. That's a great way to describe it. Good, good. And, and, if I can, and if we could just name the console claiming system, the Skiffy Maneuver, I think we'll be in good shape. I'll try and make sure that gets in the release notes that way. Fantastic. I'll, I'll hold you to it. <laughs> Well, uh, Step Between the Stars, the uh, 8.5 featured episode, uh, ended in a cliffhanger. And in the interview with uh, Terry Schull, you did with Massively.com, you teased a March event. Now, feel free to answer no comment to this question, but can we expect another featured episode in the next uh, six to eight weeks, maybe? No, I'm sorry. We're going okay. to hold the uh, second part of this episode for Season 9. Okay. Are you, are you? Is it too early to share when Season 9 might drop? Season 9 will be sometime in April. Oh, okay. Oh, That's not too long. Okay. No, it's okay. It's 12 weeks. Yep. I can, I can wait that long. Yeah, we, That's good. we actually developed both, uh, both featured episodes in parallel so that they're tightly linked, and effectively, yes, it's a two-parter. Oh, wonderful. That, that'll be great to, to see the conclusion or the continuation of that, at the very least. Uh, speaking of events, we asked this of Al Rivera, but uh, to help further entice players to participate in the weekend-long events, would it be possible to include a reputation XP bonus? Um, it's certainly something we could consider. It wasn't on my short list, but I'll add it. It's something that uh, I know Elijah was, was pulling for. It was his idea that uh, you know maybe during some of the weekends or some of the double XP weekends, if, uh, if you'd be able to throw in a you know, bonus reputation XP so we could progress through the tiers a little bit faster uh, as a limited time event, that would be... Uh, be very effective, I think. Great yep. word for us to develop, and I've got it on the list now. Well, that was easy. <laughs> uh, some players are concerned that in an effort to improve on or introduce new game systems, the story progression of Star Trek Online might slow down. Are you able to share with the community the course you hope to plot in Star Trek Online's fourth year? Oh, I don't want to give away the storyline, because you know, that's, that's kind of uh, what everyone's going to be waiting for. Um, but uh, the goal for us is going to be to, of course, continue the storyline moving um, and with featured episodes coming out on a regular basis and with the rest of the content supporting that storyline um, by creating more backstory and more of a completion of what's actually been going on. So the, the featured episode gets supported. Um, you saw a little bit of that in Season 8 with how um, uh, the... Sphere of Influence um, connected to what was going on with the queued content that came out in Season 8, um, and you're going to see a lot more of that in Season 9. Um, I'm a believer that, to a large extent, uh, creating a rich backstory, to creating a sense that there really is stuff going on in the game and that you're playing part of it out is as important as the straight narrative, um, because it means that if it all fits in a context and it all makes sense, 
that you're actually spending more time in Star Trek. Um, playing through a featured episode gives you a piece of that narrative, it gives you the context, but the rest of it needs to sell the backstory, needs to sell what's been actually going on. Um, and so that's what we're really working to do, that every piece of it is working to sell that whole, store, whole package. Um, so that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Does that go back to the sort, of the, uh, the sort of repeatable versus replayable discussion you've been having with your team? Just because you can do the same thing over and over again doesn't mean that you're still contributing to the progress of your character or the, uh, or the, 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 the benefit of the Federation or whatever. That's exactly it. You know, my feeling is that you come to play in Star Trek Online because you like the Star Trek universe. You want to spend time in it. You want to be a part of it. And uh, the stories have been the primary way we've given you a way to do that, to be a part of the Star Trek universe. And what is important to me is to make sure that all the rest of the content that we're making, be they cute events or battle zones and so on and so forth, are also becoming tied into that story. So that after you've played the, the story episode and you know what's actually going on, as you're playing the rest of it, you're getting other hints the, to the backstory of what happened before and little foreshadowings of what might be happening next found in the rest of the content so that you're continuing that sense that you're in Star Trek and that you're, you're getting the whole picture of the story uh, more than you can from a first-person perspective of playing a single storyline. Well, so you've got, you, you've, you've basically set a timer for yourself going back to the beginning of the interview. You know, you, you think it might be a good policy uh, that you know, showrunners, essentially, executive producers, should should maybe get 18 months and then Take a little time off. Take a breather. So let's just assume for the minute that you follow your own advice. Not going to hold you to it, but, you know, let's assume that, you, that, that that's what happens. What is your number one thing that you want to get done in the year and a half that, you know, that looking forward that you think you might want to accomplish? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the one thing I really want to accomplish is I want to grow the game. Um, I want to have the game have a clear path for the next three years of its life. I did a bunch of this the last time I was on the game. I spent the six months um, on the game laying out uh, a new forward path for it. And uh, some of the things I did weren't quite so popular in the moment. We learned from that. But at that point, that's when we laid out the plans that became um, fleet projects and holdings and reputations. And the idea was to create a way that the game would have a clear path for how it expands and grows. And that's what I'm working on again with the team now. Um, we've been doing reputations now for almost uh, about a year and a quarter. If we kept just turning out every season is a season with uh, some content and a reputation and maybe a fleet holding, um, the game's going to get pretty repetitive. So the question is, what's next? Um, what do we need to shake it up? And that's what we're working on with a huge portion of our thinking and resources right now. And I'm not going to tell you what we're doing just yet. <laughs> but that's what I want to do is I want to find a way to give the game a, another path that makes everyone go, I see where this game is going. I know what the next year is going to be about when they see it in front of them. Well, and I like your timeline, too. You know, you get a three-year plan because that's your 18 months, and then the 18 months you take off, and then when you come back again for the next time, you want everything to still be okay. That's right. Exactly. Good, good thinking. <laughs> that's thinking ahead is what that is. Well, that was going to be my next question. The follow-up was, you've got a track record on this game, and you took it through the end of what was arguably a really dire period uh, for the game and, and oversaw a relatively successful... I mean, I, it was a pretty successful transition to free-to-play. Other games have done worse. We'll just put it that way. What is a lesson that you took out of that experience uh, that you say, never again... I'm going to take this and do, never do that ever again. I mean, I'm going to take this and, and, and watch out for that next time. Oh, that is a darn good question. Um, you know, um, I can't think of anything specific that came out that would be such a hard and fast rule um, as that. Um, 
other than you know don't try to take a game from one place to another in three months um, <laughs> uh, more time <laughs> uh, spend more time and I think that you know if we had been given nine months to do the transition and to introduce some of the various things we tried with the free-to-play transition um, a little more slowly to the community got to try them out and tune them and adjust them um, rather than you know starting starting when I started on the team we spent 10 weeks in beta doing literally rapid iteration before we shipped season 5 which had all of the free-to-play in it um, mm -hmm. that's a pretty rapid transition for us and it's a rapid transition for the community and it meant that there was no real time to react um, to the community as well as we should have um, and it made it a bit rocky. Um, I think the big decisions we made ended up being the right ones, um, partly because the transition was a lot better than many other games that's gone free-to-play. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, the devil's in the detail. We did lots of little things that weren't very popular either um, and could have easily been avoided if we had more time to really um, think and adjust. Well, that was the story of the game, really, from 2010 to 2012, was that uh, too much to do and, and no time to do it. Or no resources to do it. You know, we've had a full team the whole time, um, and we haven't shrunk the team, or we've actually grown the team by an extra five or six heads through that period. Um, so, you know, it, but it is, but there's always so much to do. There's so much we want to do. I was just uh, thinking back to different systems that are around and different suggestions that have been thrown out by other devs and, and by uh, Dan Stahl before, but I was curious about uh, maybe the reputation system that we have. I know the new Dyson reputation is, is quite a bit easier to progress through uh, than the other ones. And it had been said before that uh, retrofitting uh, the older reputations to be more in line with the style of Dyson was uh, something that was on the roadmap. Is that something we could still expect? Um, it's definitely something we're looking at. Um, to a large extent, I think this is a very popular um, thing we've tried here. Um, but it also had some fairly negative effects on, on the game from what we can tell in the data. Um, oh. So we're around in it. Um, you know, the first, the earlier reputations that we made, um, the players enjoyed and played longer. Um, and we're already finding that people are done with the Dyson reputation and are kind of saying, all right, what's next? We're, we're done. Um, and we're several months away from getting out the next real thing for them to do. Um, that isn't necessarily the best thing for the game. So we like the system, but we're probably going to have to tweak and adjust it to find a good balance um, so that it doesn't feel like it just runs out. Well, and this would be kind of an extension of what you're trying to accomplish with the, uh, with the weekend events as opposed to the hourly events, right? So you're trying to fill in these weekends with events and things to keep people interested. Yes. I'm a believer that events are kind of a critical piece of have, maintaining a community in an MMO, um, which is why I built the first winter event. Um, and uh, continue to be a strong believer in events in general. Um, but the idea is that, yeah, there should be something showing up on your, on your calendar on a regular basis that says, hey, yeah, here's a good reason to log in. Um, it's not just what was here last week, and what's here is kind of limited time, so it's a little bit, it, it feels good to go and participate in those. And so my hope is to really kind of give the community kind of an ongoing sense that, oh, there's something good or interesting going on on a regular basis in this game. It's alive, it's thriving. And you know what? I might not care about the event this week, but that next one, I'm definitely logging in for that one, and I'm going to have some fun. Um, so I have a, a strong belief that the combination of events that are um, about you know, progressing in gameplay, maybe a you know, double marks weekend or something like that, 
um, like we did for the Dyson project in January, can be just as valuable as the you know more social ones like the anniversary or the winter event um, at kind of keeping the game fresh. Well, and, and along the lines of retrofitting or refitting systems, um, you know the star bases have been as you as you know just a huge component that have uh, really taken off in the game, but the small fleets have been crying out for for help and and or trying to figure out a way to bridge the gap between the large fleets that have not enough projects and therefore can't generate the credits and the smaller fleets that don't have the membership to sustain those projects and basically have too many credits on their hands, too many fleet credits on their hands. Is there something in the works there we can look forward to or, or put on your list, the essentially notebook there, to, to help maybe uh, with a, a, an exchange of some kind, a, a project that larger fleets can help smaller fleets work with so that imbalance can be addressed in the uh, star base economy? Um, that's definitely something I've thought about, and I don't have a quick answer for you right now. Um, there are things that I would like to do with how fleets work, but I don't think I could share those just yet. Too, too many pages back on the notebook. <laughs> well, too, too much that, uh, you know, if you talk about it, people start thinking you've committed to it. So. All right, well, we, uh, that's our usual disclaimer on the show here is that uh, is, this is, you know, a lot of it's theory crafting. You can, we can go into that, but, uh, you know, we're not, not going to, if you say don't hold me to it, we don't hold you to it. You know, I, I've run um, guilds in multiple MMOs, and uh, I've participated in guilds of all sizes, and uh, the discrepancy that comes from guild size is always a challenge to game designers. Um, and I have some ideas of how I'd like to address that and try that in SPO. Um, but I do need to work with uh, Al and the others to get them on board with my my way of thinking. So we'll see how it turns out. Well, well, good luck. We wish you we wish you Godspeed, sir. Can I ask you a, a side question? Not really relating to Stowe, but you said you've played other MMOs. Just out of my own curiosity, uh, are you willing to share which ones you uh, enjoyed the most? Um, the MMOs that I spent by far more of my life, and then you know people generally who play MMOs like to admit, um, were um, Star Wars Galaxies and EverQuest 2. And because uh, it hard, Star Wars Galaxies appealed to me because it's hard on a crafter. Um, I am a person who likes to make and build, which you can kind of tell because I also like to make and build games. Oh, I'm um, happy to hear this, yeah. And uh, in EverQuest 2, because they built a world that just seemed like it was impossible to finish. Um, it was huge and massive. And they appealed to my understanding of how to build quests in a way that other games haven't, um, in that they understood that some quests should be two to three minutes long, some should be 30 minutes long, some should be three hours long, and there should be ones out there that take 30 hours to complete. Um, and as long as the rewards are appropriate, um, the challenge of taking on the larger things becomes rewarding in itself. So those are the two games that I've probably sunk more time into than any of the others. Oh, I was just saying, I think you made a lot of friends with the uh, Star Wars Galaxies crafting uh, comment there. That's exactly what I was going to comment on. I, I, I too, was uh, spent more time and more money in Galaxies than I care to admit. But uh, uh, while we're on the topic of crafting, is there anything you'd like to share as as far as uh, where crafting in Stowe might be headed or, or what plans you have there? Uh, all I can say for sure, I can say for sure that crafting is on our radar for this year. Okay, okay. Well, and since we're talking about uh, long-term things and what's on the radar for the year-long, uh, we've heard it from several different sources over all the the last months and, and almost a year. Another expansion is probably coming. Uh, Legacy of Romulus was well-received and did good things for the game, uh, visibly uh, had an impact inside the game itself. 
Um, were you looking for another expansion at the end of 2014? Is that at least uh, on the on the whiteboard of dreams? Um, it's more than a dream. We are actively working on having an expansion before the end of this year. And are, can we look forward to another faction? I'm not going to reveal what the uh, big catch is of the new expansion just yet. Well, you knew I'd have to ask. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I have to few oh. things to, to be news later. So, so just oh, just nod your head if it's a new faction. <laughs> just nod your head. That's right. It's good radio to nod your head. <laughs> well, uh, and, and finally, and then we'll let you go because uh, we know that you probably want to go check on your server again and make sure that uh, you know nobody's uh, filled beer on the whole thing and just fried it all to kingdom come. But uh, let's talk about just the future of Gateway. Um, you know, the mobile devices are everywhere now, and we would love to see Star Trek Online come with us wherever we go and not be tied to a desktop or where we can find a plug-in at Starbucks for our laptop. Um, is that going to be on our roadmap this year, too, maybe? You know, I've gotten to do a lot of hard, hard soul-searching over Gateway, um, since it's actually a project that, uh, that I kind of uh, championed and built, on, built here at Cryptic. And uh, it uh, hasn't done particularly well for Star Trek. It's done extremely well for Neverwinter. Um, and uh, so it's going really well there. But we haven't really found the sweet spot with Star Trek of what to really offer um, the Gateway customers to kind of make them come. So we kind of have to make a hard choice at this point about whether we want to invest heavily in really trying to grow Gateway for Star Trek or whether we're going to back away from it and uh, you know, potentially even go as far as, as shutting it down, which would make me sad, but it's certainly a possible outcome. Um, I don't have an actual, out, an actual answer on that one just yet. Um, but I, but it is something that we're definitely looking at, you know, actively right now. Instead okay. of shutting down, is there a possibility this might be something that gets integrated into Arc? Um, the what's cool about Gateway is that it's actually running in the actual shard of the game. Um, oh. Instead of actually use, instead of using a big sixty client, you're using JavaScript, but you're connected to the live game. Um, you know, literally, we could have your character appear in game while you're in Gateway. You're you're that live. Um, and that's what makes Gateway really cool. Um, but it is a pretty significant development effort to keep the web team going and to keep adding features that way. And that's what we're trying to work out, the kind of the sad business parts of return on investment um, for building that out. Well, I'm just going to tell you to, to put this in your, in your mix. I think I'd pay for Gateway access. And that's not something uh, you know uh, some guy likes free-to-play games would readily admit in public, on the air, and recorded for all posterity. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I, I know that's kind of anathema to maybe how Perfect World publishes and maybe the, the concept of a free-to-play game, but, uh, you know, your tablet owners, your big expensive phone owners, uh, you know, they may have some disposable income, and they might help fund you. So uh, I, that, that's just my two cents. Um, taken and noted. And like I said, we're, we're going to definitely give it some serious thought as to what the right choices are. Um, like I said, I'm a, I love Gateway, and I would love to keep pushing it forward. So um, it's really a matter of and get the right case for it. And just a little update about Foundry. I know we've, we've gone back and forth with Al about this. Is there anything we can hope to look forward to on Foundry? Well, if you want to know about Foundry, we are working on um, you know, more improvements to Foundry. You will see them coming out. Um, but they are part of my, uh, if you will, my constant improvement of the games project. Um, they go on that list of how many resources we're going to spend each update with uh, improving things that are there. And Foundry gets put in the mix along with alongside the things like the ship swapping and, and loadouts features. And so what are we going to do to keep making the game better for our customers? So you will see Foundry updates this year. So, Mr. D'Angelo, this is the point in the interview where we open up the mic to you 
This is this is your mic to the community, a direct line to the people that love the game. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us about uh, the future of Star Trek? <laughs> Star Trek Online is strong and healthy. Um, we're committed to not just you know maintaining the game, but to fixing the problems that are there and to growing it, and to really kind of hold true to the fact that um, we hold the torch for the Star Trek universe in terms of moving the story forward, and we take that very seriously. All right. Well, uh, Stephen, unless there's anything else that you want to share or say anything, um, we really appreciate your time. Hopefully we can have you back on the show sometime real soon. Good luck with the next uh, 18 months or more. Why, thank you, and good luck with your show. It's uh, a great thing that you do to help support our community, and we appreciate it. All right. Thanks to Stephen D'Angelo, Cryptic Studios, uh, Chief Technology Officer and new executive producer of Star Trek Online. Now, let's open up hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Wow. You guys have completely outdone yourselves. I'm really impressed with the quality and volume of feedback we got on last week's questions. I'm especially going to call out Agent 009, who is uh, perhaps a tad abrasive from from time to time. Um, and speaking personally as someone who has to be reminded on on occasion to tone <coughs> down, <coughs> I, I know I know to tone down the snark. Uh, I, I think I think I'm qualified to call it out when I see it. But nevertheless, we're going to link his post in our show notes, and I recommend it to anybody who's interested in reforming the Earth space dock experience because it's a really well uh, thought out post with a lot of really good ideas. Just read past the snark just a bit. All right, Captain. So we want to review what last week's community questions were. The first one was, are features like hot swappable ships, access to the exchange and banks and personal ships and other conveniences killing social zones if so what ideas do you have to attract players to earth space dock quonos anywhere else our second question that we posed was what do you think of the in-game event revamp did you make it an effort to get in and play through the weekend event was it any more worth it than the usual hourly events and what changes if any would you like to see from these events to make them more enticing have them said Holy mother of bleep, bleep, Batman. <laughs> Quoting Al Rivera, he said, We want to put those engineering resources first at PvP? Maybe I'm naive, but it sounds like they actually mean it this time. It feels different than the usual PvP soon. It sounds like actually conversations are taking place. Thumbs up. It's about time. You know, he says that. And then on the other spectrum, the foundry saying... Why? There's always somebody. There's always going to be somebody that's getting left out because some other resource is being. I'm one of those foundry people that are saying that, but I mean, there's only so many engineers and there's only so many hours in the day. I mean, that's all there is. STOFSK writes Social zones should be used for socializing. Why do I need to visit a tailor to do anything? related to my appearance. Don't I have a wardrobe on my ship? Why do I need to visit a doctor at Starbase to get healed? Don't I have a sick bay? Well, if you're Klingon, then your sick bay is really just an airlock. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably going to want to go to Quonos to get that leg checked. Walk it off, you're Klingon. Unless you're Worf. Kill me. I think that our idea of having Earth Space Dock be not just fun, but an event hub like, for instance, testing new ship builds, testing, you know, uh, friendly PvP matches, squadrons, things of that nature. I think that's the direction that, that it should go with, however, 
tailors and, you know, fix your ship, right? Because you can't fix your ship on your own. Sometimes you had to dry dock and have a ship repaired. So maybe they need to reinvent the the death penalty in a way that requires you to go back to an, a, a space dock. Our next one comes from Virus Dancer who says, Could they add more holdings or projects of a social nature? Sure, there are likely folks out there that would love the opportunity to run such a thing if they could build it where they have some control over the nonsense that would or would not take place. I like this idea. A version of it was brought up at the uh, role-playing roundtable last year, a bridge instance where the creator has, like, kick powers, you know, as a minimum, and maybe some other settings like, uh, you know, aggressor uh, abilities, uh, weapons firing, party poppers for people with uh, low graphics cards, that kind of stuff. That would be really helpful, and maybe... Like the suggestion here is make it a fleet holding, uh, something you have to build to earn, and then you can uh, spawn a separate instance of it that you would have control of. Great idea. Virus Dancer also had another uh, idea in another post about making a social reputation system. So we take some of those uh, things that we've been talking about, like a holodeck trainer or fun mini games or whatever inside Earth Space Dock, and making it part of a reputation so that you can earn different levels, uh, whether it's passive powers or in-game gear or something else. Uh, but I think that that would give people a reason to go to these social zones and get a tangible or at least, you know, uh, traceable award for it. Dr. Kaz writes, how about poker for social zones? Say you can play in tournaments only in social zones. If people want to play on their ship or starbase, it's only local games. Make it bigger prizes for playing in a tournament. A use for the worthless gold press latinum currency? <gasps> I like it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. like it. I wonder why poker has taken so long. It's on the whiteboard, like in the lower right-hand corner. It just never gets erased, but never goes anywhere. I think that their fear is if we introduce poker, then somebody somewhere is going to complain about gambling. I don't think it's that. If you're sitting there playing poker for an hour instead of running an STF or something that they really put time into... yeah. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? I think that's really what it is. Dabo it's, takes what, like thirty seconds to spin. I mean, exactly. Yeah, that, that's that's a poker hand. Can go so on they for they want cheeks and seats, but they also want the cheeks and seats doing what they put all their money and time into, yeah. not playing some little mini game that they made for five minutes and you're sitting there playing for two hours. Right. That's why the reputation system I think is a good idea. I mean, if they wanted to do some sort of gambling or or uh, uh, associate the gold press latinum with a social rep ladder, that would be cryptic content and it would be tied to rewards that cryptic would generate for it well i mean the lockbox is a gamble you know we've had this discussion when the lockboxes first came out you, when they, oh yes when they first came out when they first came out they towed the line on it and then they backed off um and now that the new the new iterations of the lockbox and when they went back and revamped them no i don't think they're gambling anymore i think they've cleared that hurdle clearly cleared the hurdle. I don't know, because sometimes I open up a lockbox and I'm still not happy with what I'm getting. Well, just because you overpaid for something doesn't mean that it's gambling. It means you overpaid for it. I'm sorry. Explain to me that difference of me opening a lockbox and hoping I'm, gonna get, I'm going to get a ship and didn't get that ship. You, you're paying for the minimum thing you're going to get. You know you're going to get four lobby crystals and you know you're going to get some sort of consumable battery or whatever. You know you're going to get that for your buck twenty-five. You have the possibility of getting more but you've paid a buck twenty-five for four lobi crystals and some throwaway vendor trash or consumable. That's what you're paying for, and that's why the oh, lockboxes aren't okay. gambling. They're not. They're 
uh, in-game purchase packs with the bonus chance of getting something super awesome. Yeah, it's kind of like going to a car dealership and saying, I want to buy this very basic Sally Rand model that you got. And then the dealer going, well, it's your lucky day because today we're throwing in custom rims too. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. Okay, okay. But I you know you're now. paying for a Sally Rand. It just happens to be a bonus if you get something extra cool from them. I, I see that now. Major Tira Omega says, what about giving expertise for time spent in social zones similar to the system in Star Wars Old Republic and one of the few good things they have yeah well i'm serious this, this is this is uh, this is a common theme in the responses we got some kind of reputation mechanic well and you could throw a lot of things in you there. could throw a ton you of stuff throw in there. poker in there you could throw dabo in there you could throw uh what's that we were talking about i always forget the Tongo. name the yushion now well that you could throw that in there what's the dance contest from right yeah there? what's the uh the dueling one ushan, yeah the ushan. Oh, ushan yeah you throw ushan in there all these things could be social uh -huh. though, you know yeah social reputation system there's a lot and there's a a lot to be uh, explored with that. I don't want to be forced to socialize with people. You don't have I to. The reputation system is optional. That's the great part about it. Yeah, that's the great part about it. If you don't want to take part, you don't have to. What's the point of a reputation system other than to get some le some sort of elite gear, right? So Some people just like the status of, of, of having it all done or being at the highest level of whatever. Okay, but there's still gear, though. Well, no, no. Do you remember when, before DOFs, when they had the diplomacy thing going? Yes, okay? yes. What was the point of diplomacy at first? There wasn't one, except for the uniform. You had three little things that you got at. There was no gear. There was no none of that. It was purely a status symbol. Yes, that's all Ooh, it was. look, I can scoot into the Klingon zone. Mm -hmm. I'm an ambassador. I got a cool title. I got a nifty uniform. You know, that was that was in the old days before DOS gave you any of the cool and stuff. That, you get you want to talk about grind? Okay, this is where I put on my old man pants. I yank them up to my rib cage and I, I yell at you to get off my lawn. That was painful. The ambassador grind was painful. It was. I know. And I was one of those early people. So was I. I, did it. I got it done. I wanted yeah. that uniform and I got it. And that really was the major reward. The transwarp was nice and I never went to the Klingon stuff, but the uniform was what I was after. Well, you know, it's no different than, it would really be no different than the accolades. No, exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Accolades get you nothing, but people like me still hunt them. I have like, I don't know, it's probably close to 15,000 accolade points now. You know what I mean? Because I'm your collector. That's something you collect. Yeah, yes. basically. Yeah, it's just another. It would just be another status symbol. But you know what? You'd be surprised how many people will hunt it down just to say that. Yeah, I'm topped out in everything. And that's the thing about status symbols. What do you have to have in order for status symbols to mean anything? An audience, a social group. So what's perfect for that? A social reputation. Bullseye. Kieto13 writes, Hey, P1, great episode as usual. I get more news from you guys than I do Fox News. Side note, the community question music idea, I like the idea, as a signal that this is the big question of the week, but not the music itself. Maybe something a little less game showy. I like, I'm, I'm okay with the music. I'm good with it. I don't, we should play with it more, though. It does sound kind of game showy. The final answer to the community question we're going to read is, uh, well, another question. I've repeatedly joked about Taco Fangs being a known forum troll on our threads, and Elijah and his wisdom, and in one of the on occasional times I've had to tone down the snark, he made me stop saying that. Uh, but what Nick... It wasn't in my wisdom. It was that Nick and I were friends until he trolled me on my own Facebook page. Oh, that's that's right. So I can... I can Harken back to the good old days when I used to call him for him. Go, go, sick him, <laughs> sick him, Tony, sick him. Well, cry havoc and unleash the dogs of war. Well, okay, I, 
I was actually going to pay Nick a compliment, so here we go. What he does in the forums is really valuable to Cryptic and to the community. He focuses people on a narrow definition of the problem, and he solicits solutions. Input for solutions. And so we're going to credit him with uh, this week's next community question. Taco Fang says, In Champs and in the City of Games, there were player-run costume contests pretty much constantly going on doesn't make a lot of sense in the Star Trek Online universe and everyone's wearing uniforms, but I'd love to figure out the Star Trek-themed equivalent that players could initiate themselves. So, Captains, it's over to you. What sort of player-run, player-initiated, player-driven game would you spend 15 minutes a day playing or watching? You know, that's really tough, man. That's why we're tossing it out there. I know, I know. And, and you know, I remember being in Atlas Park, and when you were in front of the City Hall that's all that was happening. It was these costume contests, and people were participating. It was amazing. Every weekend, every two hours, every hour, there was another costume contest. And not only was it engaging players, but it was also engaging the supergroups, right? Because it was it was this costume contest is being sponsored by the Omega Supergroup or whatever, or the Priority One Supergroup. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that like Taco Fang says, that's not so much the case in Star Trek Online because everybody's wearing the same uniform. So what could you do in the, in the Star Trek universe that doesn't break immersion and still provides a level of entertainment for players to participate in? Break immersion? I mean, I don't even think that's a criteria. I mean, it's just something that the people in the game go to a place to be with other people in the game and enjoy a common experience, a water cooler moment, if you will. Um, I mean, that's all it has to be. It, it could break immersion. There's one guy out there, um, and he has used Cryptic's character creator to great effect, and he can switch between Homer Simpson and the Joker and Spider-Man. I mean, he can just flip costumes quickly. It's really amazing. So... It's immersion breaking because you know, Winnie the Pooh does not really belong on the Starbase, but that's the sort of thing where people take uh, the tools that Cryptic gives you and do something unexpected with them. You know, uh, emergent gameplay, something that the, they didn't design into the game, but that the players have said, we can do this with the system you've given us and we're going to take it and run with it. That's what we're looking for. Getting to our Facebook question, which was, how are you handling all your alts? Mike Tripp says, honestly, I've got about 33 characters, but I've limited myself more recently to about a core of 6 or 7 with me just running the others when the mood strikes and I need something different. That's a ton. 33. I managed 2 right now. 3 was too many. I got rid of my Klingon because I never played it because I was like, wow, 3 is too many. 33? Oh my gosh. Mike, good luck. And AJ Viega says, I have 16. I don't handle all my alts. All of them are maxed out, but doing them for events is crazy. Yeah, I mean, I really think they're designing for people to run one character on each faction. I mean, that's that's really the most that they'd like you to have. Coming to us via Twitter, the Grand Nagus engaged our Twitter feed extensively in the last week. And there were some excellent questions and comments that were brought up. So a shout out to Grand Nagus. Unfortunately, we just don't have the time to cover all of them. But thank you so very much, Grand Nagus. Please keep it up. We, we'd love to speak with you on Twitter and, and, and get involved in those discussions. Additionally, every week we get new followers, and probably most of them 
were not digitally coerced to do so uh, in the hope of getting a follow back. So a big thanks to everyone who jumped on the Priority One social media train and be sure to retweet and favorite our tweets. Now, Captains, there was so many replies on the Star Trek Online forums and on our page. We wish that we had the opportunity to cover and discuss each and every comment. Unfortunately, we just can't. Otherwise, the show would be several hours long. But Captains, we encourage you, please, to continue the conversations every week and to answer our community questions because we are reading them. I assure you, all five, six pages of the Star Trek Online forums and our website, of course our website, so please, never, never believe that we are not reading your comments. The best indication of that, guys, is that Taco Fangs came in multiple times. People at Cryptic are reading the forums. There, uh, there's an excellent discussion we had on our thread last week. Those kinds of places attract attention from the development team. Good feedback, constructive feedback with ideas and suggestions. Keep it up, guys. They'll pay attention, and stuff will get acted on. Now, there are other ways that you can reach out to us and share your thoughts. For instance, did you know that we have a SpeakPipe widget on the Priority One website? That's right, Captains. You can record your own voice message to us so that we can play back on the episode and respond. And we would love to develop that even further. So you can visit our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com, and use our SpeakPipe widget. If for whatever reason it doesn't work on your browser, then just give us a call, 609 619 0834. And if for whatever reason neither one of those may work for you, then just shoot us an email with a short MP3 recording to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, Captains, that wraps up episode 159 of Priority One Podcast. We record Thursday nights live on Trek Radio starting at around 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time or if you're on the West Coast, the best coast, 7.30 p.m. Standard Time. As you know, we love hearing from you, our loyal listeners. If you have a suggestion, idea, or topic for any of our segments, or if you have general feedback about this episode or an answer to our community questions, our email address is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can also send us a voice message through SpeakPipe, telephone call, or record your own short MP3 and send it to us. Captain, stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like. Not just give us a like, get involved and participate in our community questions. It's not just our weekly episodes. But when we post an article, we want to get your feedback, and so we'll ask a question there, too. You can also check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. Priority One is brought to you by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please visit PriorityOnePodcast.com to find out how you can help support the show. And again, a very special thanks to everyone who has contributed and continues to do so. And don't forget to check out Priority One Productions' newest show, Guard Frequency. At GuardFrequency.com, we'll cover Star Citizen and all the latest Star Citizen news. A very special thanks to Star Trek Online's executive producer, Stephen D'Angelo, for joining us this episode. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Skiffy. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. Most importantly, a massive thanks to you the Star Trek online community, and our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapon. Engage. Engage.
transfer complete. Additionally, players will receive a Solanay environmental soup that they can keep. Soup? That soup, soup, is, soup? That soup is delicious. Some, you did say soup. That's some Solanay environmental soup. It'll be served at Earth Space Dock Cafeteria. Delicious. Hey, hey, Elijah, will you do me a favor? What's up? Will you say aficionado again? Aficionado. That was nice. Aficionado. Aló. <laughs> Yo me llamo Elio. <laughs> like like last night's skip, uh, discussion with cooking. Yo me llamo Elio. Elio Yeo. Yo soy un environmental like You sound like a... You sound like a Telemundo announcer voice. <laughs> that was really good. All right. The weapon... Come on, that one doesn't even have an H in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I, I'm, I'm pacing myself. You know, you always tell me I talk too fast. So that Why are you picking down. on Tony? Why? I didn't always say, Why? Tony. I didn't always say. Don't say that I always said that you talk too fast. I said it twice to you. I said you it once tell me. in a critique about your guard f- channels podcast. Because uh, I was going to say guard frequency, so I struggled hard on that. <laughs> and, number one. and number two, today. So, hey. Well, guard frequency is the name of the show. I know, but what that's show? what I was. I know that. That's the point. I was trying to be funny and oh. say another name on purpose, but I was going to say guard frequency, and I was making up. A then name it would ruin the joke. Along. I went ahead and ruined the joke for you. <laughs> you did. Thank you. So that would. So let's see. That would roughly break down to let's see, ten million Federation ships, five point five million Romulan ships, and 0.5 million Klingons. Right. <laughs> I think. I think. I think your troll foo is strong on that one. <laughs> My troll food is strong. Nice, I think so. Trolled. Nicely trolled, sir. Take it, Elliot. Or Elijah. You. Elio. Do we have to have this discussion again? Elio. I just, I just, I would just call Elio. you Elio. Elio, not Elio. It's I would Elio. call you Elio. It's Elio. Elio. Or if you want to Americanize it, Elio. All right. Like Elliot. All right, Elio, who is close to Elliot. Which is why I keep saying it. Over hey, Elio, how's it going there? You All like right. tacos? We have. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a tequila with your taco? <laughs> I bet you guys eat the worm down there, don't you? Catch you then. Smoking uh, your big cigars. No, that's you see, that's right. The cigar part, yeah. There you go. You get points for that. S T O F. S T O F S. F T O S. F S K. S T O F S K. F S. I have an issue with mold growing underneath. Well, here's what you should probably do. <laughs> they you got know a what I'm talking for about, right? For only 50 lobby. No, no, no. You know the Family Guy episode where, yeah. where it's the convention? Yeah. I'm having an issue with my uh, with mold growing on my on my dishwasher sponge. Can you have a yeah. remedy? Yes, hang it to dry. I have uh, this this question is for Gates McMahon. I have an artesian well. <laughs> I like how the kids start getting into it. <laughs> a dry uh, yeah, I love uh, Picard. A dry sponge is a happy sponge. <laughs> yeah, that's a great episode. Ooh, I just opened up a whole new a whole new can of worms. I don't know. I don't know. Well, Elijah oh, doesn't like it, so we know it's going to be Android does not compute. Android does not know how to be social. Android does not compute. Android does not know how to be social. I stopped listening I, to you guys. I, I hate you guys. I quit. <laughs> I quit. I quit. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Where are we? 
No, 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 no. If you're gonna do it, <laughs> he's like, that was the. He's like, that was the text that I was, was gonna send you. That, that was this. Oh, you have a longer piece of paper. Ooh. He's got legal. <laughs> oh, he's got legal. Paper. He's got legal paper. <laughs> you badass, you. I think I needed a sheet of paper. <laughs> oh, <oops. laughs> he's like, I, I, he's like, that was my tactic, wasn't it? <laughs> that was my W two. <laughs> My W2, no. <laughs> okay. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including the man with the... What? Yes. No, I'm not saying yes. that. Yes, yes, you are. I'm not saying that. No, I'm not saying you that. You have to. It's, on, it's, no. it's in the show notes. It's in the no. script. It's in you the have show to say notes. it. You have to say it. You have to say it. Say it. Say it. Say it. Say it. Do it. Let's read the copy. Our audio engineer. <laughs> 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 With a cactus. He's got the magic Mac. He can go once, he can go twice. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next week. You know we're not live, right?